I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8, we're going to be looking at uh, the candlestick this morning. Uh, Some of you have been getting your candles out for Christmas, I think, probably, but uh, this is not exactly the same kind of candle that we're talking about here this morning. But uh, as we come to chapter 8, in our study here of the Old Testament book of Numbers, we're still examining the events that occurred in the camp of Israel at Mount Sinai on the day of the tabernacle was erected and dedicated to God. It was the first day of the first month of the second year after Israel's exodus from Egypt. Now, again, everything in the camp uh, was ordered by the Lord. Everything in the camp of Israel was ordered by the Lord in the holy place of the tabernacle. Uh, Before the veil, Moses would speak to God and God would speak to Moses from the mercy seat. And then Moses would pass along God's orders uh, to the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And I think there are two things involved here. One is divine revelation, and the other is divinely chosen leadership. And all God's people comprised the holy priesthood. Now, we as Baptists believe in the priesthood of the believer. Uh, We don't have uh, to uh, go to a particular person or a priest uh, to confess our sins or to uh, enter to, what's the word I'm thinking, Uh, to uh, get, go between us and God. Okay? Uh, We don't have to, we can go directly to God ourselves. Uh, uh, Moses uh, uh, was uh, going to God. God spoke to Moses. And, and uh, so uh, God's uh, people uh, comprise a holy priesthood. We are a priesthood today. But the Lord has given spiritual leaders to his people, and these leaders should be respected and obeyed. Now, uh, some religions, uh, for instance, uh, uh, there's a religion that uh, uh, has someone that's a spiritual leader that's leading people the wrong way. Uh, his uh, headquarters are in Rome right now, if you know who I'm talking about. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they may must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So in the local church today, God doesn't speak audibly uh, as he did to Moses. Uh, but as God's people worship together and pray and study God's word, God will reveal his will to us. First Thessalonians 5 verse 21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. What is it that everything we hear in regard to matters of spirituality must be tested by? Well, is it tradition? Is it uh, what uh, someone said, uh, what we've always done? 
No, it of course is the test, the matters of spirituality, the test should be, uh, the standard is, should be the, the Word of God. Uh, subject, uh, subject everything submitted to you to be believed, uh, uh, the proper test. Uh, the word here, uh, prove all things is used as one, uh, applicable to metals, referring to the art of the assayer, uh, by which the true nature and value of the, the metal is tested. And it's no different in life. We must submit everything to the proper test and a proper tool uh, for testing is the Word of God, the Bible. Now, just because someone is sincere, uh, just because someone is dogmatic, uh, just because someone may be a good communicator, does not mean they are giving us the truth. Everything must be tested by the Word of God. And so it does not matter if millions of people take as truth some teaching of a religion, that doesn't make it true. It must line up with the Word of God, and everything I say must line up with the Word of God, and you need to prove it. You need to test it by the Word of God. God spoke to Moses about three important matters. Here in the book of Numbers, we find caring for the candlestick. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Then there was the dedication of the Levites. And the, and then thirdly, obeying his guidance as a nation as they marched to Canaan. Now, this morning, we'll look just at this important matter of the candlestick, candlestick. Now, you say, what's so important about a candlestick? Well, let's look at it. Notice the properties of the candlestick. In verse 1 of chapter 8, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And Aaron did so, and he lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick, as the Lord commanded Moses. And this work of the candlestick was a beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof, was beaten work according to the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses, so he made the candlestick." And so when the tabernacle is dedicated to the Lord, God's glory is going to move in and God's fire will consume the sacrifice of the altar. But God did not light the, the seven lamps on the golden lampstand in the holy place. Why? Because he told Moses to tell Aaron that was his duty. That was his responsibility. The duty of Aaron, the high priest, for he and his sons and their descendants would have the solemn responsibility of caring for the lampstand, trimming the wicks, adding the sacred oil, and making sure the light was shining. Now, in the holy place of the tabernacle, there were no windows. Uh, The only source of light is going to be the golden lampstand that stood to the left of the incense altar before the veil. We aren't given the dimensions But we are given a description here in verse 4. This candlestick, or sometimes called the menorah, had no alloys in it. Didn't have a mixture of metals in it. It was made of one talent pure gold. That's about 131 pounds of gold. Does anybody know the price of gold uh, today? Uh, It's changed uh, a bit. I think it's uh, roughly... Let me give you a rough estimation. $1,300 per ounce. Got any gold? (laughs) They say go with gold, right? But uh, 
$1,300 per ounce, give or take some whatever the value is, that would be worth about in the 131 pounds of gold that they were making this candlestick out, that would be worth about uh, $2,724,000 today. Now, these people in that day didn't realize this. Uh, they didn't know the value of it, but they did know there was great significance to this candlestick and how it was made. Because uh, God didn't say, make a lamp, and you figure out what it's going to look like. <coughs> Uh, no, God was very specific in his instructions, and for that reason, I believe there's great meaning even in the lighting uh, of the tabernacle. Now, we've already noted that it's made of gold, pure gold. And I believe that pure gold speaks of the deity and the holiness of Lord Jesus Christ. The candlestick was hand-beaten, reminding us that our Lord suffered agonies and sorrows and pain on the cross to provide light to the world. Isaiah 53 in verse 4 and 5 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so the properties of the candlestick are important. Notice, secondly, the pattern. Notice in verse 4, it speaks of according to the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses. The pattern was uh, of the candlestick. The candlestick was one piece of beaten gold. It was not attached to, uh, at any place uh, and it, so that it could be broken. And I think uh, we can even see the significance of this as we as believers, as uh, we are in eternal, united in Christ. Uh, we are one in Christ, and we are secure in Him. First uh, Corinthians uh, six seventeen. But He that hath joined us into the Lord is one Spirit. Ephesians five thirty. For we are members of His body, for of His flesh, and of His bones. So we see the significance and can transfer that significance even to us today. So notice the central shaft, as it speaks of here. Uh, in this uh, particular uh, description of the candlestick. The candlestick, again, or the menorah, had a central shaft which was straight and taller than the other six branches which were pointing toward it. The central shaft was called by the priest the light of the world or the light of God. Again, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, the central shaft is the seventh shaft. Seven is the number of completion and God's perfection. Jesus Christ completes our lives. He was perfect and sinless, and in him uh, we are perfect in God's eyes. Uh, Jesus com uh, completed God's plan of salvation by dying on the cross. And he, when he uh, died on the cross and he came to that one point, he cried, it is finished. What was finished? Well, the answer is God's work of redemption and the price of man's sin was paid in full. And when you trust him as your savior, he will complete that which he started in you. Now, again, no measurement here is given of the candlestick. But historians believe it was probably five feet high, maybe three feet wide. The lack of revealed dimensions reminds us of the deity of Christ, again, because the deity of Christ cannot be measured, 
cannot be computed. But the central shaft also reminds us of Jesus Christ and the vine, and we are his branches. In John 15 and verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now we are clean, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Again, here's a reminder from Numbers that uh, Christ is the vine and we are the branches. So the central shaft has significance. But then there also there are the branches. These six branches point toward the center one. The number six is the number of man. We are lights that point others to Christ and shine for him. The central shaft shows us that Christ is to be the center of our lives and the center of this local New Testament church. Our lives are to revolve around him. Our thoughts, our decisions, our actions are to be made in view of what God's will is for our lives. Now, is that the case for you this morning? Do you plan your life? Uh, Do you plan your week, your days around God's will and God's work? What's your plan for this afternoon? What's your plan for Wednesday night? Uh, What's your plan uh, for uh, the remainder of this week? Oh, I'm too busy to be in church more than once a week, you might say. It's just not convenient. I have to quit what I'm doing and interrupt my life for God, for my fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. What is revolving around uh, what? Are you fitting into God's plan or are you trying to fit God into your plan? Notice the close relationship the branches have with the central shaft. Notice the branches partake its nature. We are to be partakers of the nature of Christ. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Ephesians 4.24 And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The branches partake the nature of Christ. And so the branches partake the nature of the candlestick. Secondly, the branches are dependent upon the vine. That's what we read there in chapter 15 of John, on verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You can try to do without Jesus, but sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. And you're going to come to realize this tremendous truth that without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. Now, the candlestick was... uh, 
ornamented with flowers, knops, and bowls. There's some uh, more technical knowledge uh, and terms for the things that were going on with this uh, candlestick. The uh, flowers remind us again of the beauty of Christ. The knops represent fruit. It's Josephus, the historian, who suggested that the knops were pomegranates. Uh, But as the branch bears fruit, we are to bear fruit for the glory of God. The lamps or the bowls are like almonds or almond-shaped. They were for the olive oil. This is a reminder of the resurrection of Christ because the almond tree was first to be awakened or bud in the spring. Now, uh, the word almond in the Hebrew language means wakeful or hastener or awakening. And so that's the significance of the almond uh, uh, tree. Jeremiah 1, verse 11 and 12 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And then said the Lord unto me, Thou wast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. So in the almond bowl, we have a glimpse of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Christ was the firstborn among brethren. Uh, He was preeminent in his resurrection. Aaron's rod had was had an almond bud on it, flowers and fruit. Again, a picture of Christ. You go over to Numbers chapter 17 and verse 8. It says, And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of the witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. The, the bud is a reminder of birth. Now, it's a little ways off till springtime, folks. I'm sorry to say. So don't be looking too soon for the buds on the trees. We've got winter to do yet. But you know, as you go back out into your yard in springtime, you begin to watch for, uh, and again, don't go out right now because there won't be any signs of springtime. But when you do go out in springtime, the buds will begin to appear. And the rod is a picture of death being cut off from the root. Aaron's budding rod established his priestly position. And the resurrection of the dead almond rod confirmed his priesthood. The resurrection of the Christ confirmed the fact that Christ was God. It was also confirmed his position as our high priest and mediator and savior. The central lamp was not lit by the other priest. Uh, It was done only by the high priest. The lamp was ignited by the coals of the brazen altar, and the brazen altar was the place of sacrifice and the shedding of blood. The coals from this altar provided light in the tabernacle. Uh, The world today has uh, available to it the light of truth because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His sacrifice provides light of eternal life for the world. Again, as as a high priest, he gave light, our High priest, Jesus Christ, gives light and in fact is the light of the world. So we have the properties of the candlestick, and then we have the pattern. And again, I think what I've been giving to you from the New Testament is a commentary about what's going on here in the Old Testament. But notice thirdly, the power of the candlestick. The light of the candlestick, or the menorah, was dependent upon oil. I asked... uh, our organist this morning, did she check the oil on the, on the organ before she started? Well, you know, it's always good to have your, your vehicle, your car, 
have oil in it, right? <laughs> you let it run dry and you're in trouble. Well, that's not quite the same kind of oil we're talking about here this morning. Oil is a picture of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You find in the Scriptures, oil uh, is a picture of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit in His earthly ministry. We, too, are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. The Spirit of God helps us to love when we want to hate. It gives us joy when we're sad. Uh, It provides peace uh, when we're frustrated. It helps us to be gentle when we tend to be harsh and inspires faith when we're tempted to doubt. Now, in Leviticus chapter 24, it tells us about this oil. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 1 through 3. Leviticus chapter 24. And says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. Without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations. Not only, or not just any oil would do for the candlestick. It was to be pure beaten oil. It was to be the finest quality. Uh, it was to be beaten by hand using the mortar and pestle. Uh, it was not ground uh, in a mill, but our Lord, again, it speaks of the suffering of our Lord who was beaten. Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put on him uh, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, the first extraction of olive oil was called virgin oil. The oil had to be clear. Uh, it was passed through a strainer to remove all the impurities in the oil. This was done because pure oil gave off more light and was less smelly, less smoke. Uh, God wants us to get uh, rid of the smelly sin in our lives that we might give off more life or light and less smoke. That our Well, let me just put it bluntly, that our lives wouldn't stink so much, right? He doesn't want us to stink. This oil was revealed the glory of the candlestick just as the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Jesus Christ and His perfection. Again, in John chapter 16, I remind you of this passage, which we studied uh, some time ago, but it says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself and whatsoever he shall hear, ye shall that shall he speak and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. See, the Holy Spirit alone can empower us to live and to be a witness effectively uh, for the Lord. Acts eight, and ye shall receive power. Where does that power come from? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are to be filled with the Spirit. 
We are indwelled with the Spirit, but we're to be filled or controlled with the Spirit so we can face the opposition, we can continue to bear witness and be the light that God wants us to be in this world. The power, the light comes from the oil, the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, the purpose of the candlestick. The purpose of the candlestick was to give light in the holy place. We've mentioned that already. But it was for the purpose of service and fellowship. It was needed because there was no natural light in the tabernacle. The priest was not to walk and serve in the light of the world. And we're not to do the Lord's work based on humanistic philosophies or reasoning or logic that are contrary to the scripture. First uh, Corinthians 2 and verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The priests were to walk in the light provided for them, and so we are to walk in the light provided for us by the truths of the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. So notice the picture of the candlestick. Here we have a picture of the light that is available for us to walk with the Lord. First of all, there's the Lord. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Notice, he says, I am. This is I am. This word phrase occurs over and over. Not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he said, I am that I am. And actually, we're told very little about God. We know he is the self-existing one, that he has all wisdom and all power. But the Lord Jesus came to earth not only to redeem man, but to reveal God to us. Jesus greatly expands our understanding by using the commonplace things like bread, light, water. Those are things you probably use every day. Those are the things that Jesus used, common, everyday, ordinary things, to be a picture of himself. He uses the ordinary to speak of the extraordinary. The physical to speak of the spiritual. The temporal to speak of the eternal. The here and now to speak of the hereafter. And the earthly to speak of the heavenly. The limited to speak of the unlimited. And the finite to speak of the infinite. Jesus gives us a revelation of God when he tells us that he is the bread, that he is the water, that he is the life. And then we understand that not only is God self-existing, but that he also meets our every days, every needs of every day. Again, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Year the branches. And so in John, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, he was just exposed the sin of the scribes and the Pharisees when he, he said that, who had brought the woman guilty of adultery, because they had just been, as, been just as guilty as she, they had to flee. And that's what happens, doesn't it? When one turns on the light, all the bats, the rats, and the cockroaches, and the bed bugs hurry away. Light exposes sin. 
That's the reason the scribes and Pharisees had to leave. He said, I am the light of the world. That's the highest claim that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. One of the definitions of God is that he is light. We've seen that in our study of John. He is absolute in his holiness and his justice. Even physical light is one that is one of the most complicated things for us. Who really knows what it is? You say, I just turn on the switch, right? That's all you got to do. It's complicated, though, when you think, try to define it, try to figure out how it works. But God is absolute in his holiness and his justice. Who can really know it? We can know about it. Surprising thing is that men acting on both of these definitions or principles have been able to make remarkable inventions and discoveries. Some say that both are true, and yet others say both can't be true. Is light the absence of darkness? Is darkness the absence of light? Which is it? Our room today is filled with light. What do we mean by that? There's no darkness. Does light weigh more than darkness? I know these are deep, deep questions you're trying to figure out. We don't understand light, but certainly a child doesn't understand light, but he does know enough to turn the light switch on when he enters the dark room. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And just as the sun is the physical light of the world, he is the spiritual light. And just as a little child can have enough sense to come into the presence of light, so any sinner today, though he may be a fool and a wayfaring man, as it says in Isaiah 35, can come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So the picture here is of the Lord. We also have a picture of the church. Revelation one twenty, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars of the angel of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And the first part of the book of Revelation, we see here the seven candlesticks in reference to the seven very specific churches. And they each teach us some valuable lessons about what our local church should be and what it should not be. I think one of the greatest lessons is that our church should be a light in this community. It's a light by its faithfulness. Faithfulness to preach the word and the light of its individual members to go out in the community and be a faithful witness. And then, thirdly, the word of God is pictured here. Life and light are related. When we hold forth the word of life, We light the world. The word of God is a light for our pathway. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as we use light to light our way, the light then shines through us to give us light, uh, give light to others as well. Psalm 18, 21 or 28. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Uh, 2 Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Again, these are very important pictures of the candlestick, but also notice the persistence of the candlestick. 
The candlestick was attended to continually by the priests. It was to never go out. Exodus 27, 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive oil beaten before the light to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. You can see the terms that are used there that speak of it being attended to continually. Our light for Christ is to shine. Should never go out. Remember the song you sang in Sunday school? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Matthew 5, 16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your holy life, your pure conversation, your faithful instructions be everywhere seen and known. Always, in all places, in all businesses, at all work, at all home and at work and in prosperity and adversity. Let it be seen that you're real, that you're a genuine Christian. Now, the wicks of the candlestick were trimmed two times a day to ensure that the candlestick would give off its brightest light. In fact, the wicks came from the garments of the priest. Jesus Christ causes us to burn brighter. He prunes and trims us as the imperfections come about so we can burn brighter. Trimming the wick was important for continual use of the lamb. The charred ends were considered sacred and were carefully disposed of by the priest. The flame of the lamp is a picture of the sacrifices we make to shine for Christ. In our past experiences of service, of communion, of worship, are burned wicks. They cannot be a channel for today's flame, just as a burned wick cannot be a channel for the oil. Listen, don't let your failures or your accomplishments of the past hinder you from serving the Lord today or tomorrow. And so we come to the conclusion here. The trimming of the wicks in our lives gives us new opportunities to burn brighter for Christ. If the wick in our lives is to be used, it must be burned. If it is burned, it leads to trimming. And the wick is not the fuel, but the wick is the channel for the fuel. And as believers, we are to be channels in which the Holy Spirit can work. I wonder this morning, are you allowing the Lord to work through you? Are you being the candlestick, the light in your place in this world that you need to be? I trust that God's word will speak to our hearts concerning about this very thing this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you again for the wonderful privilege.